Oh my God, Jason, I did it. I'm producing. You are amazing. A woman <laughs> of multi talents and skills. <laughs> and you even took requests from the crowd, which I don't usually do. <laughs> so even, Fuck. yeah, you, you're, you've won up to me. <laughs> and do you see how I faded the music too? It was so good, dude. So good. <laughs> Happy Friday. How is everybody? Great, you? Oh, good, good. Jason, where are you? I am at the uh, Minnesota State Baseball State Tournament uh, in Apple Valley, Minnesota. So our team is playing in about 20 minutes. Uh, so Mike Brennan, co-founder of Leap Gen, uh, and someone much more brilliant than me, uh, has uh, uh, so nicely offered to step in for me today. But I had to join just to uh, say hi to everyone. So yes, Apple Valley, Minnesota, Jeff. Well, go Alex, go Edina. Who's Edina, the Hornets or something? What's Edina? Oh, very good, Hornets, you're exactly right. Oh, the Hornets. Green Hornets, Green Hornets, nice. Yeah, very good, very good. And Mark, thanks for being on time. Um, <laughs> hey Mike, one of the things that we do, and I know you already know this, but to start every meetup, <laughs> is ask how everyone is. And you see, I can, I can tease it a little bit based on my hat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's an important question I always talk about, and that's really three answers. Green, yellow, red. Green, you feel great today. Yellow, so-so. Um, red, not so good. And as you guys put that in the chat, yeah. um, you know, please let us know how you are. Um, and for those of you that uh, are new here, welcome. I see some new names. Uh, Jess, you and I did an amazing event in Singapore this week. It's amazing how mm -hmm. fast we can get to, from Singapore back to uh, um, <laughs> the United States these days, isn't it? Just by pressing go on Zoom. But um, yeah, so I noticed we have some of our new guests from Singapore in the room also. So really, really, uh, really, really excited to uh, welcome the group from um, from the other side of the pond as well. Happy group today. Lots of greens. Yeah. I see a lot of greens. That means good luck for our team, I think. And look at all these people cheering for Alex now. So his game is at 12.30 Central Time. We'll be, uh, he'll still be playing, of course, when we end. But we hope we get a score update while the game goes on. Yeah, you, will be, you will be deep in the middle of talking <laughs> HR technology and the perils and the successes of it. Which one's more exciting? Watching the baseball game? or deep into the bowels of HR technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you know what? We can actually see when we when we bring our guests on, community members, like fellow, like mindset consultant people who are going to help us talk about tech. We're going to see if we can put baseball analogies to play. How about that? <laughs> oh, look, Kim Bryant. Uh, Kim, you're yellow. We're, we're going to make you green. Love you, buddy. I get to yeah. call everyone buddy. See, I'm already in the 14-year-old mode. I call Kim <laughs> Bryan, buddy. Um, that's what I say to the guys as they get to first base, buddy. So, uh, yeah. Kim, uh, welcome. So glad to uh, well, so glad to see you. Uh, so, Jess, I'm going to turn this over to you and Mike, and I'm going to say sayonara because I need to go warm up these 14-year-olds uh, who are right. just perfect angels. Have a blast. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks, you guys. Love everyone. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. So I think uh, we should ask Kim. Does the does the yellow mood have anything to do with Pink Floyd? Got, I got to be honest. Pink Floyd actually brings me down a little bit. I was I was feeling better really? uh, before that song. Yeah, I just I, I'll need to break out of that that funk for some reason. They've always had that well, effect. I, I could have played comfortably numb, but I went with money. Like, <laughs> a Friday song. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was a good one. I, I I like I like the music, but yeah, for some reason it usually brings me down uh, a notch. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, welcome, welcome. You're no stranger to the digital meetup, Mike. You've been on with us before and, and bantered about with this amazing community. I don't remember if I saw your answer. Were you green today? You're good? I, I am green. All uh, all good. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I am a, a loyal podcast listener. I, I usually can't tune in live, but uh, I always enjoy listening to you guys on the, the weekends. Yeah. For, so for those of you who don't know, I think most of you know by now, we reproduce this whole thing. It's like a live podcast, basically, because we reproduce this as a podcast and put it in our Now of Work podcast channel. So if you're like Mike and you do your Saturday morning dog walking and introspection and all of that, you can just listen and walk and 
and catch us that way too. You're all part of the con like a live podcast. So you can basically say you've all been on a podcast. <laughs> How about you, Jess? Did I see your response? I don't think I said. You know what? I'm Jason in here. So I'll say I'm green. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see that I come across as Jason. So now that Jason's not here, when I'm chatting with you, it's as Jason. How about that? I didn't want, I didn't trust my production skills so much to come in and like change his profile. <laughs> So I'll be Jason, but I'm green. It's been a fun week. Lots of, uh, and Reed is green, one of our guests. That's awesome. Uh, it's been a fun week. Lots of fun challenges and interesting conversations, which is kind of what we're going to geek out about with everybody today. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and um, start to bring a couple of problem solvers. I'm not even going to call them technologists. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. They're really good problem solvers. They're one of the interesting conversations I had this week. And I said, I think we got to like have this conversation in front of people, with people, because it's too good not to have a few a few ears uh, on it. So I'm going to bring in Reed and Ray. Mike, I would love you to tell people a little bit about your background. Uh, we're about to geek out on tech <laughs> together. Um, and I think the history... Uh, what it, they're like the evolution of HR technology is fascinating enough, but sort of how we've all navigated the industry to find ourselves here talking about HR tech together. I think that's good perspective to have. Will you tell people about your background in the space? Yeah, absolutely. And hey, Tracy, it's been a it's been a while. Good uh, good to see and hear you. Hopefully, hear you a little bit later on. Um, so I was uh, as close to being born into uh, digital HR as uh, as I think most people. Um, I was actually in business school uh, and I was a part-time personal trainer. And one of my customers uh, that I worked with regularly uh, asked me what I was doing for a, a summer internship. And um, I had a, a, a job lined up or an internship lined up with a uh, uh, large insurer here in the Boston area where I'm located. And um, he asked me if I was excited about it. I said, well, you know, to look at on the, the resume, but to be honest, I wasn't really all that enthralled with the the idea. Um, and he asked me if um, I'd be interested in helping him write an e-learning business plan. Um, this was back in 1999, eight, 1998. Um, so my first question was, what's e-learning? I mean, we're really talking you know, dot com uh, era. And that really tuned me into the idea of at the time uh, and to this day, I'm really turned on by the idea of transforming things digitally. At the time, we were really focused on democratizing education for advanced placement students in high schools. So if you're, um, for those of you uh, who aren't familiar here in the, the US, advanced placement courses uh, provide high school students with the opportunity to earn college credits before they even get to college. So it's a money saving opportunity. It's a, an opportunity for people to learn at a level where they where they are. Uh, and not everyone gets the same opportunity. If you're in an affluent suburb, you may have more opportunities than you would if you were in a very rural school district or um, uh, uh, one in, in the inner cities. Uh, so uh, that really introduced me to the concept of digital transformation. We weren't calling it that back then, um, but ever since then have really um, been uh, been just obsessed with uh, the idea of doing things differently through uh, digital. So from there, uh, moved into uh, a market analyst uh, role at a company called IDC, where uh, I uh, researched uh, for on behalf of vendors primarily, but as well as uh, investors, uh, the e-learning market. So learning management technology, learning content management, um, learning services. Uh, and from there, uh, I could see the puck going toward integrated talent management. So I expanded the, the research at, at IDC to integrated talent management at the time. And one of my customers happened to be uh, Jason Averbook, uh, and yeah. you know I got introduced through a, a webinar. I think that's a rite of passage for everyone in the in the industry to to do a webinar with uh, with Jason. Um, and I also happened to come across Knowledge Infusion, the firm that he started after uh, leaving PeopleSoft um, in the fields, and just became uh, really impressed by the approach that they were taking. So. Um, much as we do here at LeapGen uh, today, focus on mindset, people, and process uh, in order to determine how can we best leverage the, the technology? What's our purpose in, in using it? What's our purpose in um, imagining a, a different future? And how do we enable that through 
uh, technology. Mm. Um, so from there, I've really been a, a management consultant for the past 15 years, mostly in strategy and design roles, but I've run a couple of um, implementation practices uh, in the Cornerstone and SAP uh, ecosystems and was fortunate enough um, a little over five years ago now to uh, co-found LeapGen with, uh, with Jason. It's really funny, Ray. <laughs> Ray's having tech issues in our conversation yeah, about yeah, tech. Just that. Ray, if you can hear me, like if you're in here as an as a listener and you can hear me, try to just drop out altogether. Just close the browser window. Perfect. Open Crowdcast again. Come in again, and I'll try to reinvite you again. Take your time. We are family here, <laughs> and we'll get to meet Reed first. Yes. Uh, hi, Reed. Welcome. Hey, Reed. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Amazing. I love the conversation we're about to have. I'm not going to steal your show here, Reed. I'm going to let you introduce yourself next. But I will say, funny how I, I kind of wanted to talk about how we all arrived here at the same table talking about the same topic. I did not start out as an HR technologist. I didn't know what HR was. I didn't know that there was special technology. Like you could have told me a pay about a payroll system and I would have been like, Do can I just have a paycheck? <laughs> like, um, and so, but I started out as a recruiter and I was vastly disappointed in the experience of candidates and recruiters and hiring managers. It was messy. It was undignified. It was far from modern and consumerized. And that's how I found talent technology and people experience. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I find my, so that's sort of like the sideways way I come into, oh, I guess I should talk about workforce solutions and people technology if I want to fix that problem. Um, but Reed, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background too in the space. Yeah. Well, I mean, your story is not unfamiliar to us. I find H, what we would call, I guess, HCM is kind of the umbrella, you know, human capital management over all these systems and processes for for um, you know HR payroll technology, people kind of stumble into it in different ways. Like personally, um, I was I was studying chemical engineering um, and did an internship in chemical engineering. I loved everything I'd learned through that program in terms of the problem solving and you know the ways of thinking. But I, for geographical reasons and just personal reasons, didn't really want to go into the chemical engineering field. So I needed to think about what I was going to do. I started looking into management consulting and other more business routes. Um, and I'd never even heard of HCM or, you know, mm -hmm. HR tech at this point in my life. I ended up applying um, for a, you know, HCM implementa implementation position, thinking it was management consulting and <laughs> doing some more research and figuring out what it really was. And then um, kind of stumbled into the space um, and found it to be a perfect fit for me because it let me, you know, kind of, leverage the problem solving skills I learned from my background, but it was an entirely new world. And that whole concept of not even really knowing HCM, HR tech, any of that is something I'm very familiar with. Because when I tell friends and family, you know, what I do for a living, people are often surprised it's in, they don't even know it's an industry. So it's uh, mm -hmm. kind of used to, the, to that reaction. Uh, let me Let me look at Ray's message here for just a second. <laughs> It's, oh, perfect. Uh, Another browser and go to your mobile is the next salute. We're going to keep troubleshooting with Ray. Okay. Um, I mean, I will uh, I will kind of save the uh, covalence history lesson for when Ray does able to jump on. But just so everyone is aware, covalence, what I do is I'm an implement. We're a company that implement HCM solutions. So we work with software vendors and we go in and we implement the um, you know HR payroll systems, time software, all of those, we don't own any of that software. We just implement it on the behalf of the vendors and we have relationships and partnerships there. So I started out with Covalence as an actual technical consultant implementing, starting in the time software, moving into HR payroll eventually, then started doing more project management type roles, mm. overseeing those implementations, both pre-go-live and then post-go-live type work. And now I'm current position as an engagement manager, which just really just means that I oversee our projects at a higher level. I make things, make sure things are going smoothly, make sure all our consultants have everything they need to get their jobs done and help facilitate and manage those internal teams. And then I kind of split time with the sales side where I help our sales team have that first conversation with new customers and assess if we think we'd be a good fit. Um, and if, you know, if we're talking to them at the right time in, in their journey. So kind of split between the services side and the sales side is 
what my current role is. So I have a question for both of you, uh, and tell us in the chat if you've read most. Of, if you're here to geek out about HR technology, most of you probably read Burson's HCM Excellence Report, and it's dismal. Like it literally is dismal. The percentage of projects we're going I'm gonna call them projects, Mike, and poke the bear uh, <laughs> who go <laughs> who go over time, over budget. They underwhelm their stakeholders with. You know, they, they might they go live, but, you know, the, the business value or the outcomes, it, they're sort of underwhelming. And I think it's like 11 percent, 11 percent report to make any positive impact or improvement on employee experience. Yikes. Yeah. Considering I, I this is like a built multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry. The, those are the success stats that we have to report on. Over time, over budget, no improvement to experience, and nobody's really happy with their goal, you know, like with what they end up with. Why is this? How is this possibly acceptable? Um, Mike, you go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I, yeah. I really, I, 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 at the go live party, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll come back to the project uh, part later, uh, but yeah. I'd just love to jump in on the, the term HCM and human capital management. I mean, that, that right there kind of tells you um, all you need to know uh, the, if you think yeah. about. So one of the one of the principles upon which we founded LeapGen was that we really needed to focus on workforce experience uh, and what we could do at the time and still to this day uh, help the workforce experience catch up to the customer experience. So if you think about uh, if you look at this from a market segmentation point of view, you've got HCM, right? And then you've also got customer relationship management. Um, now, management is, you know, that that term, you know, it, it, it does imply, you know, a very business centric point of view, but customer relationship management, customer relationship manager is a job title. These are things that we can relate to. Do either of you know any human capital managers, people that would re refer to themselves that way? I don't. Um, human capital management consultants would be in our sphere. But yeah, that, that title, especially on the client side, I haven't heard. Yeah, it's just not very relatable. I mean, it, no. it, we, we talk about all the time HR designing things for, for HR uh, and that leading to some of those statistics that you just cited, Jess. Um, mm -hmm. I think that mindset component is really kind of the, the, the first point where um, you start to head down the, the wrong road in, in developing solutions and sustaining those solutions in ways that delight the the, the people that you're, that you're serving. So that, that's just kind of... Uh, I think that's a, a root cause to a lot of what happens down the, the road, referring to things as projects and thinking about, um, mm -hmm. you know, projects, you know, have their place as long as they're part of a, a larger program um, that has, you know, a strategic vision tied to it that may need to get updated uh, based on changes to what the, the business needs and, and what the workforce needs, of course. Well, I, I would say that 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 context ties into exactly, and it kind of answers your question too, Jess, about are in my thoughts why those types of metrics are pointing that way about you know what the what the problems are oh looks like we have ray ray you are a trooper wow we did this yeah. <laughs> did i did i say my strength is problem solving <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for your thanks for your patience i'm finally here but on my mobile so we got this oh, working welcome aboard. Oh, thank I you Prop it up and make yourself comfortable and, and all yeah. of that. I no worries. If I if I turn it sideways, does that work? No, you're sideways. No, you're sideways. Oh, okay. Oh, now you're upside down. Yeah, okay. I'll just hold it. Um so you know it's funny because sorry, Reed, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say it's funny because I was thinking kind of as the intro music was playing about the Pink Floyd Money song that yeah. today is Friday, and for a lot of people it is payday. So it was yeah. very apropos. Yes. Yeah. And we're talking about serious investment in tech with the, uh, like, like let's have the ROI conversation maybe as, as we go along, like what should we be measuring and how does tech pay for itself? Um, before Ray, welcome and, and lovely you. to meet you and talk with you again. We met earlier this week right. and, and you know, this amazing community we have people from all walks of life, all professions, all, you know, they all, everybody comes with their own lens and, and sort of, you know, experience of the workplace and, and the world of work. 
Uh, but we have a lot of HR people, culture, technologists um, in, in the community. And I expect lots of great questions. We've already gotten a couple I'm going to loop back to. Um, but I'd love you to introduce yourself and your background, too, so people who, who don't know you or, or know Covalence understand your kind of perspective on this topic, too. Sure. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. Um, you know, way back in the day, um, prior to there ever being any su such computer engineering discipline, um, I went into engineering because I was good at math, and that was the only reason. Um, sort of fell into the industry by accident after working um, for a power utility, being, building a power plant for five years and managing uh, large workforces that had complex rules, like the bargaining agreements in terms of construction trades. And then sort of fell into this by accident and uh, meeting a guy that uh, him and his father had a company building an MS-DOS time and attendance system. And uh, without knowing there wasn't an industry for time and attendance, I sort of fell right in because I've been working with uh, large unionized workforces with complex rules. Uh, from there, uh, you know, I've been involved in building multiple systems from MS-DOS through Windows, through the client server days, web technologies. Um, I co-founded a company called WorkBrain, which we IPO'd in the early 2000s. Um, and since then, I've been uh, engage actively engaged in uh, consulting services through, uh, through my own companies uh, implementing HCM software. Mm -hmm. What a fantastic pedigree. And I'm, I'm making the point, like the way we all come to the table. So you're a mechanical engineer. So of course you approach HR technology through a problem solving lens. I want to loop back to John. John, thank you for being here. It's always lovely to spend time with you. Great point. Many HR departments I worked on had no idea the strategy of the company or of IT. Who wants to take that? <laughs> How true. Well, I, I think it kind of ties into the point when we were going back to what you initially said, Mike, about you know the uh, the whole concept of HCM and not aligning it with the actual maybe needs of the employees. Mm -hmm. And kind of just it ties into that point as well, which is that when we, we we work with a lot of clients that are in that position for the metrics that you cited, Jess, um, of, you know, dissatisfaction with whatever their situation is. And we work with some of those clients. We'll meet them when they're already live. So they've gone through an implementation. We weren't in the picture at this point. We come in. They've been live for some amount of time. And now they're basically like asking for help. And we go in. And the message we hear a lot is, you know, the system's not working, the system's broken, and support's not helping us. And when we do some analysis and we kind of actually dig into that and roll up our sleeves, we often find a majority of the issues are not that the system can't do what they want it to do or that something's broken. It's that nothing was ever set up right in the first place. And what that really ties back to is that this, these teams weren't asked the right questions when the important decisions were being made. So when that you know, HCM project was going on, the focus was entirely on tech. They're probably being asked yes, no questions. Is this, and basically replicating all the old issues they would have had in the legacy software, just, just cloning it and not giving them a chance to improve or empower the employees to make things better than they were before. But by, and we've noticed that a lot in the clients we work with, and we've kind of, we've used that to change how we work with clients when we're in a position to be asking them those questions. You know, you're not just asking them yes, no, and trying to replicate old problems. You're trying to kind of give them an opportunity and a springboard to use this change in technology as a great window to update things like policy and internal. So like mm -hmm. what better time to change the way your business does structural internal policies around how they manage their people than when the technology is changing. And our teams try to factor that in so that it isn't just a technology implementation, you're also considering the people and how it's gonna impact the lives of the people actually using it. So I think that kind of answers the initial question to, to the question that was raised, You know, those HR teams are the people that we're working with. Um, and I think a lot of their, as was cited, they're not, they're not aware of the, what IT wants to be doing or leadership wants to be doing. A lot of that can be solved by also like asking better questions early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I do. Think oh, sorry. So. Sorry, go ahead. Right. Uh, yeah, I was just going to jump in there a little bit, too. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I always say, too, is that, you know, when people buy systems, generally, you know, it's a people justify it on the basis of whoever sort of has the greatest 
impact in a specific area. You know, so for example, you know, like payroll may justify buying a new payroll system because of issues that they're having within the payroll team. And so they, they, they approach it kind of through that lens of looking at it through strictly the payroll process and trying to solve for their particular problem. And they've justified the project on that basis, you know, without kind of the, the, the completeness of their holistic view of the entirety of the organization, you know, and the other thousands of employees that now need to interact with the system as well, you know, and taking, you know, and taking a, an approach and looking at through the employee lens as well, you know, as well as the other ancillary groups, you know, of HR and executive team as well, in terms of, you know, optimizing the entirety of the application, you know, and leveraging kind of its components across the organization. I totally agree. And I think it underscores the importance of, uh, now Jess, I'll kind of touch on the yeah. program versus project. Um, yes. to, to your point, Ray, if there is a program manager who is overseeing things and there are you know, governing bodies in place, not just for the payroll implementation project that are thinking through things and rightly so, you know, with good intentions on, you know, how to solve those problems. And obviously everyone wants to get paid on time and uh, at least the correct amount, I'll say. <laughs> um, uh, if you're not thinking about integrations, if you're not thinking about the experience of uh, the employee, the contractor, uh, to provide the, the consistency so that it doesn't feel as disjointed as it does uh, sometimes. And, um, you know, read to your point as far as um, starting to think through questions uh, that need to be answered in a timely manner, as opposed to in some in some scenarios, uh, we'll walk in, and I'm sure you guys do as well. Uh, there's a, a go live date, and we're going to hit it uh, regardless. You know, damn the the consequences, and that can result in either you know decisions that aren't thoughtful enough, um, or delays that then lead to some of those statistics. You know, delays a, a little bit on down the road when people realize, boy, this is not. Uh, we're in, we're in testing right now, and we're still making fundamental design decisions. Um, you know, just not a recipe uh, uh, a success for anyone. Yeah, and, and one of the other things that we always tend to focus on as well is, um, you know, I call it I call it the unknown requirements. You know, generally as people approach a project, they've defined you know all their requirements you know from top to bottom. But you know, our focus and our experience has shown that there's a whole host of what I call these unknown requirements that come to the forefront that impact the project. You know, and so from our perspective, when we look at the technology component to it, you know, our implementation methodology is such that, you know, we are trying to get uh, our customer or client organizations into the system as quickly as possible, you know, and kind of walk through the, the processes and the technology to vet these unknown requirements to try to minimize any sort of down the road impacts. So, you know, to your point, you know, when you get into testing, you're not redesigning the solution or um, you know, trying to trying to address a significant impact at that point in time. Reed, you said something earlier this week when we chatted, <clears throat> and to your point, Ray, the un, the unknown requirements. People, they don't know. Most as brilliant as we all are, we're a bunch of smart people, but we don't know what we don't know. How yeah. do we get to those? How do we surface the unknown requirements if we don't know the better questions we should be asking earlier in the process? What is the so maybe it's getting the right people around the table to align on that vision and strategy and then making sure everybody knows the North Stars, we begin the work. Like, yeah. I think we start too far down the path, by the way. when If you already have a technology selected and you're beginning implementation, you're already probably further the, down the path. How do you back up <laughs> and make sure everybody knows the strategy? Yeah, I think the... That sentiment, because I know we used that exact phrase earlier this week, I, we don't know what we don't know. That's like the, that's become like the, the calling sign of all our post go live work that we do with clients. Mm -hmm. And the frustration they feel is that when we point out that we can fix something, and sometimes it's really, you know, they sometimes these clients have been struggling with something for months. And then we come in and we're like, oh, well, we can fix it this way. And it's not overly complicated. It's like, this is something you could have done earlier. The frustration comes like, well, why? We didn't even know to ask about that. Like, how would we have known to ask about that? And I think it's unfair to put it on the customer from the get-go to know what questions to ask. It comes back to what I was saying earlier. They need to be asked guided questions. The onus shouldn't be on the client on top of their day job on this project to 
to go out and do supplementary research beyond what's reasonable to ask the consultant, hey, I read about this thing. Can we do that? Like the cult consultants should be proactively identifying the needs of the organization and steering them down a path where they say, hey, I know you've struggled with this for a while. This might help. And that's the easiest way that we find to do that is ask about pain points. So we go in early and we're like, what do you really not like about your about your system right now? About your, you know, when you're doing payroll close, what's the thing that bugs you? And we usually find a couple answers where we know we can build to reduce those headaches. But if we just ask them yes, no, like what is what are your payroll dates? What are all the codes you need in this area? Those pain points would never come to light because they're not yes, no answers. They're kind of ambiguous and odd and they're things that a lot of times the client might assume is something the new software can't handle any better than their old software like they just think that's just the way it is right and why and and that's reasonable why why would they know without being told there's this new capability mike would you do me a favor and explain for everybody so so we talk about it at LeapGen, we have like a leap speak, I guess you could say. We have a way of talking about things that sort of make a point. And we make a point, a very strong point, not to say implementation, if what you really mean is deployment. I mean, there is straight implementation, but when you truly mean deployment, what do we mean, Mike, when we say deployment? What's the key difference there? Well, deployment is the overriding, think of it as more of the, the program uh, and the program does comprise the, the people, you know, the, those governing bodies in addition to the solution delivery uh, teams. It comprises um, the, the folks that need to be involved in what I would call human-centered design. Uh, that's a, a big principle for, for LeapGen, as I mentioned earlier. So not just designing, um, you know, steps in the system, but potentially, um, you know, Reed, you mentioned not knowing necessarily how things could be so falling back to how you operate today we work with firms obviously that are um that we want to be change-minded uh if they want to make uh, improvements there are cases where it's more of a, a lift and, and shift but in most of the areas that we um deal in as it relates to you know life cycle events um if you want to call them that really that the moments that matter first time i become a manager uh first time i meet my manager these are all you know emotionally charged moments and i noticed some comments in the the chat about us all becoming more empathetic and you know covid if there's you know there are many silver linings to covid actually one of them uh being that it is it, it has caused us to become more more empathetic but to come back to your to question uh jess and to tie off uh on some of what uh reed was saying if you look at decision making there are decisions that need to be made as it relates to you know payrolls as it relates to uh approvals and and such some of those decisions um aren't ready to be made when the configuration workbook is is distributed um so yeah. in terms of the in in terms of thinking about um deployment versus implementation and even taking one out of the one out of the the mindset of technical stage gates if you just think about well what decisions need to be made before we can move to the next stage um you know th those types of th those types of things are what we try to infuse into what would have been in many cases strict technology implementations if we hadn't been involved we're not the only ones doing this i, I think we do a better job at it than than anyone uh, but we're not the only ones doing it and i do think jess it's in large part um, because of you know the statistics that you cited, and if you're looking in the the chat now, um, there are folks here with plenty of opinions on um, you know things that things that not only have been done incorrectly, but recommendations on how to to change the game. And for us, thinking about things from the standpoint of having a vision and having you know overriding guiding principles on say the role of a manager that could then be applied to you know a um, a, a specific project like payroll, and then some of those yeah. same principles can be applied to performance management. Can be applied to uh, any number of of areas. Onboarding um, is a is a common one for us these days, just because of the great reset with a lot of churn in the in the workforce. Um, you know, thinking about things from the standpoint of that digital program, one that has a deployment roadmap that comprises individual projects, many of which involve technology enablement. 
So Tracy makes a good, I, I love it when I get to play devil's advocate. Okay, so Tracy, I know Tracy is at Success Factors, so she feels this deeply, I imagine. Your comment is valid. This is where it's hard. Software sellers want to sell licenses, user seats, and get the sale. Now the client is paying for seats when there needs to be pre-work before that project. Yeah. So are, and this is not an uncommon problem. So are we expecting enterprise technology sellers to be consultants, pre-sales consultants? And do they, and some of them do, by the way, or, or do they also have to sell services? Do they have to bring value advisors and transformation advisors to the table to make sure that they're recommending the right solutions? That's, that's not how most software sellers are selling today. But is that, how do we fix that problem? If we don't fix that problem, we're gonna keep coming in and doing fix it work because we slam technology in the door with no, without a proper strategy, without asking the right questions up front. Yeah, I mean, as currently constituted, the software companies should not be, um, should not be the, the ones doing that pre-deployment uh, work. So when I refer to a digital vision, with a program that's you know looking out multiple years, one of you know one of the work streams or several of the work streams, depending on what the scope of the, the digital work is, should be business case work and determining how many of these software licenses we even need. So if you've yeah. bought software and you may have over purchased or under purchased, um, you know that's a sign to me that the decisions being made potentially by the wrong people. Uh, certainly at the wrong time. And it's not to say you're going to get perfect every time, but um, if you're in a scenario, as Tracy described, where the sale has been made and now pre-work needs to be done, if that pre-work is going to jeopardize uh, any of those licenses in the future, you know, from a renewal standpoint, um, or, you know, think about from the customer's point of view, if they've built a business case and it turns out they're going to need twice as many licenses as, uh, as they thought, then that's, uh, that's an issue for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. so I, as currently constituted, I wouldn't say the software vendors are the, the best ones to be doing that type of, uh, planning work, but, um, they certainly should be a source of, of input. Um, and I also say that with the constraint in mind that the way most software is priced, you know, on a proceed basis is something else that could be revisited. Revisited. And, um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to jump in there and totally agree with Mike in terms of the pre-work that, you know, that should not be work that's done by the software vendors. Um, you know, even when you look at, you know, to one of the points you made, Jess, in terms of, hey, should should people be selling the software along with services? And to me, I 100% agree with the comment that it should be because the technology by itself really isn't going to do anything, right? The people aspect um, on top of that technology and understanding the use and the solution design within that framework, you know, are paramount to the success of a project, you know, and the, the people aspect is just as important as the software aspect. Yeah. You know, and the two of those need to go hand in hand. Coming from my, my speaking from my old talent acquisition world, the questions I used to, the things I used to hear all the time, I can't hire people, so I must need an ATS. I have no talent pipeline, so I must need a CRM. The technology isn't the solution. <laughs> it's like, right. and do I need a CRM? I don't know who's going to run it. Who's going to run a playbook against the system to make it do the thing that you want it to do? Putting a, implementing a CRM isn't going to magically produce pipeline and warm it for you and yeah. pool it and suggest it against your hiring need. Like that, it doesn't work that way. But we sort of like, you know. Um, Bryce, I want somebody to, Bryce always asks great questions. Anybody can take this one. This is a good challenge. Companies perceived uniqueness really needs challenging as most of the time they're not as unique as they, so we talk about the uniqueness and the complexity, the unique challenges of every organization. And I need to understand you and your org intimately. Are they all really snowflakes? Are they as unique as they think they are? Or are they making things more complicated? Than they need to be well maybe i'll jump on that one uh, right away if you don't mind yes. so you know every company believes that they're unique and kind of with that term unique also states we are we are the most complex mm -hmm. you know we have the most complex requirements we do the craziest things um you know and we're unique 
And what you tend to find over time is, yes, there is some uniqueness across organizations, but there tends to be kind of an industry pattern, I'll call it, you know, across a number of organizations. You know, for example, you know, we've worked with a lot of airlines and you go from airline A to airline B, you know, a lot of the a lot of the requirements tend to be the same. There tends to be some uniqueness maybe around, say, values for, you know, uh, entitlements in terms of what people accrue for vacation or or uh, sick leave and those types of things. But, you know, the, the underlying requirements tend to be very similar. You know, in the airline industry, that's a that's a 24 hour clock. You know, a day is a 24 hour clock from the day or from the time of your scheduled start. So, you know, that's common across all airlines. You know whether they're unionized or non-unionized. You know, and we've pretty I've pretty much implemented most um, in North America, so uh, I can say that pretty factually. But you know, we tend to find you know these these this there's a large commonality you know across industries and verticals. You know, and it is one of the reasons why a lot of companies and clients, prospective clients, you know, always want to kind of understand industry experience and industry knowledge. Um, but you know, inherently because we get to see so many different companies and organizations in different verticals and within verticals, you know, we're, we're in a position where we can kind of understand kind of the commonality and bring expertise and solution design, you know, kind of across a given vertical, um, you know, whereby a lot of times people who, uh, you know, kind of work as, you know, practitioners or HR professionals, you know, tend to um, work, you know, in an environment where they understand kind of their particular needs and their particular rules, you know, but may not have a vision or opportunity to see um, across the a vertical or many verticals. Yeah, the uh, the uniqueness is often like the icing on the cake, right? Ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent of your problems other companies have faced, and there's just one percent, and it sticks out because it's the thing you're aware of, you're thinking about. It's but when nine, you know, let's just say ninety percent of the problems and the things that you are facing are common, and that final ten percent is the thing that's unique, you shouldn't let that be a roadblock because it is the icing, and we can do so much good work on all that core functionality. And then it, we're not trying to undermine the importance of the icing on the cake because it's the most delicious part, right? But you want to <laughs> like, you need to you need to take care with it, but you shouldn't not have you shouldn't not make the cake because you're worried about the icing. Like you will figure out yeah. the icing, you will get to it if you work with the right people. And the systems are flexible enough to handle most use cases. And if they're not, you'll find something else. So it shouldn't it shouldn't be a mental roadblock to not even start the the whole program. Yeah. Stephen yeah. Hunt, oh my gosh, we have an amazing technology expert, researcher, advisor, technology expert. Thanks, Steve, for being here. We can't wait to have you on the show. Fo great follow-up question. What ask, kind of a follow-up to what we just said, what aspects of HR technology and system design should be unique versus standardized, globalized, not so custom? Any reaction to that? It's a great question. It is a great question. Uh I'll just jump in. Um, for us, when we talk about experiences at LeapGen, for us, those are two parts. So you've got an experience and that's made up of two parts, interactions and transaction. And Reed and Ray, in, in your responses to the to last question, you were focused, I would say, mostly on transactional. Um, you know, if we're talking of core and payroll, yeah. uh, that's largely transactional. If we're talking about um, interactions leading up to those transactions. So policies, what managers are empowered to do, uh, where would I even go to learn that uh, as, a, as a manager, for instance, to learn about the business rules, so to speak. Uh, not that I would even necessarily use the term business rules uh, when communicating with uh, with you know a, a lay person uh, who's not in comp or um, finance or, or, or HR in, in general. Um, but if you think about those HR managed experiences, processes that involve more interactions, let's say the career growth and development journey. You know, that's something that organizations, there's just not enough talent out there right now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, people would agree with that, or there's not enough of the right talent. There are skills and balances. Uh, we may not know how to find the skills, even though they're there. So th there are things happening right now that there aren't, they're the same problems Raymond, to your point, but there aren't tried and true solutions around dealing with some of the demands on, on HR 
right now. So I, I do think there are areas where, um, you know, certainly some of it is industry specific, uh, absolutely. Um, but in terms of organizational uniquenesses, when it comes to things such as how do we develop leaders, how do we leverage skills through our rotational programs in ways that we haven't done before, to me, that's where some of those interactions need to be better defined in ways that are unique to the organization for one of two reasons, either it's critical to the culture um, and needs to be a core competency of what the organization does. The other reason being, these aren't mutually exclusive, by the way, um, no one else has really figured out how. <laughs> this is truly where the HR innovation is is happening. Um, to me, that's where you don't you don't necessarily have um, you know, a library of best practices to to lean on. HR um, is very broad. Um, it's about people. So if you think about it, um, you know, even thinking back to, you know, your college curriculum, you, you may have taken uh, math courses where, you know, there was clearly one answer, one right answer, and you took philosophy courses where there were yeah. more uh, than one answer. So I, I do think some of it has to do with those areas of HR that are more interaction heavy than they are transaction heavy. Yeah, and we definitely saw the hugest uptick in those undefined problems that don't have a tried and true solution during COVID. Um, because, I mean, it was, in COVID it was a very interesting time for us on the software side to see what kind of solutions people needed. To, to your point, both on the transactional and the interactions, like I guess a more interaction based one would be uh, taxation got really complicated because suddenly everyone moved home. Like people living in Silicon Valley don't want to pay the rent there if they don't have to go in the office, they fly back to their home states and they're working there. But yep. these companies still need to tax them um, as California employees, at least initially. Of course, this opens up the whole conversation the about like, what is our policy? Like, are we going to tax them in their home state because they're working remote? Are we going to tax them in California? And from a software perspective, the reason that's complicated is a lot of these systems tax you based on where you're listed as living in the software. So suddenly we're in a spot where we have to help clients work out from a technological perspective, how do we track residential versus tax separately in the system and don't break your tax calculations. But then from a more human level, it opened up conversations about like, well, what is the policy? Like when we asked clients, you know, we were doing, we were working with, with a client and they had to set up all of these, um, all of these employees and we were setting up tax locations. And it kind of brought up the conversation of, well, they now work remote. So we're like, where are they being taxed then? And it was like, that was the first time they'd thought about that question as well. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't know, actually, we need to go look at that. And that's, it comes back to that timing, like that policy needs to be defined before we can ever do the technical work. Yet we're sitting in a room ready to do the technical work. So a lot of those things came up through COVID, but they're not unique to COVID, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I the really workforce, workforce input should inform those decisions. Yeah. So again, managing things as a program, just sorry to step on you. Uh, but when it comes to no, that's where I was going to go, actually, yeah, I, I mean, some of, those, some of those bodies that need to be in place that I was referring to, governance is really about decision making to me. Governance can invoke a lot of different, you know, emotions from from people. But having a customer advisory board that you go out to uh, for many things, workforce experience related is key to me because if you've got, you know, a single body, there should be rotation through it. Um, if you're going to that body for input on multiple things, not just individual projects focused on individual functions, you're more likely to succeed and not lead to some of the challenges that were pointed out. I noticed Rex earlier uh, said that um, from a, if you're doing software selection and you get worried about features, you know, if we're looking for bells and whistles for performance management and then come to the realization based on workforce input, we need to completely throw away what we do today, simplify it, strip it down. Those features not only are worth nothing, they're worth less than nothing because they're gonna be counterproductive right. um, if you roll them out. Sorry, Jess. No, I was I was actually seeing if I still had the tab open. I can't, I wish I, I like to sort, uh, I'm sorry, cite my source uh, whenever I do this, but I read an interesting article this week about, I mean, so there's individualization, there's personalization, but I guess what I'm really talking about is the fact that this sort of phenomenon that people, we're all just human beings, we're consumers in the world, whether it's inside of work or outside in our everyday lives, we expect to be intimately involved in the design and experience of everything that has to do with us. 
I feel like I should customize my own. Exp I can tell, I can pin the people in my iMessage that I want at the top. I can decide how my home screen look like you could go into my iPhone and it would feel like a foreign land to you because right. it, it's my apps. It's sort of the way I use it. It's stuff like it wouldn't even feel like an iPhone to you. Probably I would go into Ray's iPhone and be like, where am I? What planet am I on? This is not my experience, but it's the same technology. Um, and so this idea of I expect to be involved in my journeys, my experience of the world, my interfaces. How do we do what you just said, Mike, which is get input? My goodness, are you even asking the workforce how they work, what they need, what they want, how they'll be most effective? Are you asking the admin, sysadmins and the report administrator? Like all, Are you actually getting all of these inputs? What's the balance? It can't be customized, unique and individualized for every user or can it? Survey people all day, every day. No, I was kidding. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, sorry, I, I just needed to ask, uh, Jess, would it feel like a different planet uh, if I were to use your phone or would it feel like dark side of the moon? Sure, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. just, had the, just had to get the Pink Floyd reference in again. Um, so, in terms of uh, you know, in in terms of how to get the input, um, listening strategy may be something that well, I know based on some of the names that I uh, see in the the chat, um, you know, some of you have either recently focused on uh, or are you know focusing on actively. Um, it, it does differ uh, for us from from customer to customer, but we we like to do. Uh, when working with customers is leverage the channels that they already have to the greatest extent possible. If they're doing pulse surveys, we like to get on the schedule, so to speak, uh, because this is a firm with, you know, an intentional listening strategy. They've got an intended audience. They've segmented it uh, to get down to the level that, you know, we, we seek. Um, but there's also, um, you know, instead of defining requirements, it's going out to people with proofs of concept, not a blank slate. You know, what if the world worked this way and getting feedback from folks? So user experience testing versus user acceptance testing. Um, and of course we do when it comes to some of the, the more philosophical, um, you know, interactions and so forth, we do like to ask people to, you know, blue sky, what would you like it to, uh, what would you like to look like? Um, and, you know, read to the point that you made earlier, during some of those same conversations, want to ask whether it's through conversation or whether it's through um, some written input uh, via a brief survey, where are your biggest pain points? Yeah. You know, th those are the, you do need to get that input from your customers because, you know, what happens on stage versus backstage may be two different things. Obviously, you want to solve for the backstage pain, but you absolutely want to solve for the, the, the pain that's on stage. Yeah, I think. I like your point about surveys because an experience I've had a lot is that clients we work with are very good at getting the senior leadership's input because they need to, because it's their boss and they'll be in trouble if they don't, you know, value the, the input of especially like C-suite level people having some say. What clients can struggle with is to get what we call the boots on the ground insight, which I think surveys are a lot more accurate at capturing because you can distribute them easier and you're going to a much larger employee base, obviously. Like we were working with um, a healthcare provider recently that had nurses that do home visits. You know, they go to senior homes and do visits. We built out a whole system with them to allow their nurses to track how many hours they drove so they could be reimbursed. And mm -hmm. we were working directly with the whole senior payroll team and some of the financial people. They all loved it. We were all super happy thinking we did a great job. We went live with it. And the nurse adoption rate was horrible because and no one was using it. No one was tracking their hours in this or they were doing it wrong. So we immediately reach out because we've already kind of done a soft go live with a focus group. And we found out it's, it's so silly that it, it's so simple. It almost feels silly. They use their phones to track their hours, not their laptop. And the entire design with the group we were working with on the client side just assumed build it for the laptop. We give them a company laptop. That's not how the nurses actually used it. And we basically had to start over, right? Like we had to go and build the, the whole solution to to be accessible from phones because that's what the nurses needed to do. And if if one nurse had been in the room on day one, we'd have known that and it would have saved a lot of time and money and stress on the client side. Um, but they weren't. And it's 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 tough to say whose fault that is. Like from, like you said, Mike, from like a program construction, who needs to be the one to say we need a nurse in here day one? That's that's a complicated topic, but we needed that feedback and we only got it 
not too late because we were able to correct it, but far yeah. later than we should have. Mm. Bob, great. Yeah, it is one. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry, I was going to jump in. It is one of the challenges in the technology space as well as, you know, that sort of, so I call it the lag, you know, from that boots on the ground need, you know, into the technology. You know, we're start. You, you definitely see the the advancement and the move towards it. And you know, in our in our industry, we see that like in terms of the the real time pay and the AI incorporation into um, HR centric processes. But there is a undoubtedly a lag between that you know boots on the ground need you know versus what's actually available in technology today. Totally. And the, Steve, the other thing wait. in the Oh, sorry, God, just sorry. Oh, go ahead. I know no, there's no, so please, much please, please, gold please. in the chat. <laughs> you go, Mike. <laughs> I was just going to say, in the case of uh, the the nurses too. I mean, um, that that also needs to be taken into account in terms of how you communicate with them. So, for those traveling nurses, read is a better way to communicate with them: text versus email. Right. So it, it, it doesn't even just apply to the technology itself. It'll, it we, we talk a lot about change management, which is another term that I'm not really big on. I prefer change enablement, um, just again, that, that mindset shift. Uh, but if you're you know communicating with folks in a medium that they don't like using uh, or don't use, uh, you know, work with customers where, you know, we realize that we're targeting um, direct access for 10,000 people, but only 7,000 have Active Directory, only 6,000 have email addresses, right. you know, the, 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 just from a program perspective, leveraging lessons learned like that for subsequent projects. You know, I hope that's something that your customer can now can now do. Get yeah, that, like get take that, that insight and use it as a seed for. There's a lot more to learn from that than just this mile tracking module. Like yep. it's it's just it, it's it's totally true. Steve, we're gonna have a pay talk on another. I love the conversation, by the way. And speaking of interesting articles I've read this week, I read so much stuff and then I have to remember where I saw it. There's a concept of a national pay scale. Speaking of zip codes and time zones, where are we willing to hire people? Obviously zip code and, and where we pay employment taxes. Like there are things that matter that are, aren't that easy to just transform overnight. I, I know we don't have time for this. You're asking, uh, do the companies, the panelists ever have done a study to calculate the ROA of different pay strategies? I think pay transformation is gonna be one of the biggest movements we see in our lifetime related to talent and people. I think there's massive transformation coming in that space. Um, I agree with your comment, Steve. I can't wait to have, that's a whole separate topic we can tackle. I think that's a, a massive, and I think it can be a game changer for diversity, uh, recruitment and retention efforts. I think that our ability to own our own skills passport and monetize it accordingly, that's a democratization movement that puts more power in the hands of people to drive their own careers. They're gonna to have to be supported. All of that has to be supported with infrastructure that can make that come true for people. But I think that's, I, I can't wait to see that play out. I wish we had more time. I knew this was gonna be meaty. Tech is so, we have such an amazing community who really love to unpack these topics. I'm gonna to play a little game. I have one minute left. You guys wanna play this or that? I've got a tech version of this. Okay. <laughs> right. Everybody answer in the chat and you guys just call out on screen, all right? Answer in the chat. This is a technology version of this or that. Apple or Samsung? iPhone or Samsung? Answer. Samsung. Samsung? For me, Mike? yeah. I'm a green apple man. Ooh, I think I, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna go apple here. If, if okay. only to split the covalence voting too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apple, 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 Samsung. Okay. Company divided. Good job, Jess. Recent convert, Bob. You're really on in foreign territory if you're navigating a whole new system. Uh, Mac or PC? PC, which I know a is PC for me. contradictory to my last point. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I know I'm, they're not necessarily the same. I know uh, I'm, I'm purple on that one. I, I go either way. I'm Apple, Brooke, to answer your question. iPhone and Mac for me. Okay. How about personal time? Netflix or Hulu? Mm. Netflix. Yeah, I'm 100% Netflix. 
Yeah, I think I'd be the same. I think we're all in the same. Okay, and this weekend, screen time or screen detox? What's your style? For me, 100% screen detox. The weekend is the opportunity to get outside and do things. Yeah, I'm the, I, get, it's, I got a barbecue plan tonight, so I'm starting the, the detox detox early. Amen, to both, amen to both of you. <laughs> Absolutely. <sighs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Reed and Ray, for joining this like super fun interactive panel. It's hard for me to describe this community to people. You kind of have to dive in and experience it. When I say it's interactive, don't you feel like you just spent time with 2,000 people? Like, oh, absolutely. Thank you for, for chatting with us like you always do. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I love, oh, I love it, Jessica. Gardening detox. Growing food, not lawns. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I hope, and no, I haven't got, I texted Jason twice. No score update, Bryce. So we're all rooting on Alex. Go Alex. My my two girl, two of my girls are playing state softball uh, fast pitch um, tournament this weekend. So I'll be, that's what I'll be doing. Detox and watching lots of fast pitch. Have, and we owe you a, uh, we owe you a baseball related HR tech example for next time. I know. <laughs> I was, I, I was I trying to get one in the whole time and I couldn't find a window. All I could do was football. I was like the coach calling the plays on the field. That's like the consultant. I was like, forget yeah, it. I'm not going to go there. I had a couple in the works. Nothing good enough yet. So we'll watch it. I love it. All right. I'm going to take us out with a little Pink Floyd. Thank you, everybody. Have an amazing weekend. Thanks, Thanks all. Everyone. All right. Thanks, Jess.